This weekend is the annual Pride Fest in the city of St. Louis, the culmination of week-long events that celebrate the community of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered, and queer persons in the St. Louis area. While some look at the celebration as an over-the-top spectacle that showcases the extremes of our community, many view the celebrations as a showcase of the diverse tapestry of God's children. As a gay clergyman, I think it important for the LGBTQ community to finally stand and not hide ourselves and stake our claim as members of the society and within our beloved church community. Many of us work, we pay taxes, we own homes, we pledge and we tithe, and we contribute to the well-being of our communities. We are doctors, lawyers, teachers, retail workers, blue-collar workers, and yes, we are deacons, priests, and by the grace of God, bishops. We have families, some biological, some adopted, and some who are just good good, close, chosen friends. We stand before God, we exchange vows, and we commit our lives to each other. We wear rings of a symbol of our commitment, and Todd and I have worn ours since 2001. There are some these days who would still prefer, though, to see LGBTQ persons become invisible again. And certainly after the last election, it would seem that many would like for us to be eliminated from society altogether. They would have us exiled from our homes and country, and within even some of the provinces of the Anglican Communion, some would even have us imprisoned, or worse still, executed. As LGBTQ persons, many of us run the risk of being exiled from family and friends, from our communities and our jobs. And as LGBTQ Christians, we are often at times exiled from our own community for being explicit about our faith. As a gay man, I view the lessons each week with the lens of how does this story speak to gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgendered, and queer persons? Just as other readers might think, how does this speak to women? How does this speak to persons of color? How does it speak to married couples or singles? We each read the lessons and use the frames of our references to make the translation relevant to ourselves. For the readings that are scheduled for today, at least for me, the concept of exile stands out for me. What is the role of the exile in these stories? In the reading from Genesis, we see that two women, there are two women, they're living in the same period of time and in a place not really of their choosing. Within the times that they live, women have no rights or power. Their lot in life is to serve their husbands. The difference between these two women is that one is free and one is a slave. One who has very little power and one who has absolutely none. For the first woman with little power, it derives because of her marriage because of the miraculous birth of her son, an heir for her husband. For the other, though she has born a son for the man, who would have been heir, she gains no power. And the prospect for a better life for her son is vanishing 
day by day, because of the other's new son. Of course, I'm speaking of Sarah and Hagar, and we see here two women, both desperate to ensure the hope and dreams of their sons, each woman hoping for a better life for their child. Then something happens. Abraham has a celebration on the weaning of Isaac to celebrate the time that he is no longer dependent on nursing from his mother, but is able to sustain himself on regular food. Sarah witnesses then 14-year-old Ishmael there. And in the reading today, it says that Ishmael is playing with Isaac. But in some translations, the word is mocking. I'm sure in a manner that most 14-year-old boys do. What Sarah sees fills her with such emotion that she demands that Abraham cast out Hagar and Ishmael. We see in Sarah the plight of many oppressed groups. When faced with limited resources and rights, those who are marginalized often feel that their only option is to compete with others that are in the same situation for access to power. This distresses Abraham greatly because Ishmael is still his son. Hagar and Ishmael become outcasts. They are banished from the safety of the community that they know, certainly the only community that Ishmael has ever known. And this seems like such an injustice. They are exiled because they exist, and because, frankly, because it can be done. Ishmael is a constant reminder to Sarah that there is competition with Isaac as to who would be Abraham's heir. And Hagar, we meet a woman whose son, Ishmael, threatens those around him simply by existing. Hagar's love for her son won't allow her to disown him or cast him aside. So Hagar stands up for Ishmael, even though it results in her being cast into the desert along with him. Though this story distresses me, I find hope in the fact that God hears Hagar's cries and she has, as she has left Ishmael under a bush, certain that he will die. She is assured that God has heard the voice of Ishmael where he is. And as for many LGBTQ people, we can be assured that God has heard our voices where we are as well. And where we are today is in our own churches the places where we worship and pray to a God who loves all of God's children, where we are all valued, honored, and celebrated. This story story speaks to the experiences of all exiles, the poor, the sick, the LGBTQ children of God, for all exiles who have suffered at the misunderstanding of that God's blessing, that God's grace is limited somehow that pouring out God's grace out to one would diminish it for the next child of God. But just when we think we have found a place where our lives and gifts are valued, here in the Episcopal Church, there are some factions, the ACNA, and some provinces where our primates believe within our community that they look upon our existence the way that Sarah looked on Ishmael a threat to the understanding of God's grace that is given. So they would have us thrown out of the communion, out of our churches, and into exile as well, left under a bush in the desert to die. 
and not just the LGBTQ persons, but those of you who value our gifts and diversity in the body of Christ, our own Mother Hagar, the Episcopal Church. And how are we to react to that fear? I was rereading retired New Hampshire Bishop uh, Gene Robinson's book, Eye of the Storm. And in it, Bishop Robinson references a book that I read so many years ago. And that particular book helped me in my spiritual journey. I remember when I was first coming to grips with my sexuality and with my faith. This book was recommended to me by my roommate. And it was called Embracing the Exile, Healing Journeys of Gay Christians by John Fortunato. The book helped me in numerous ways as it was instrumental in helping me work through the conflicts that I had with being both gay and Christian. Fear had taken over me. Fear of what others would think if I finally came out. Fear that I would be cast out of my church, my family, my job. Fear that my friends would turn their backs on me. I was paralyzed with fear. Not knowing what to, go, what to do, not moving forward in my spiritual life, just languishing there where I was. Frankly, I was a mess. Embracing the exile helped me in coming to realize how to deal with that fear. And what Bishop Robinson reminded me in that book, uh, in John Fortunato's book, was that John and his partner had wanted a blessing of their union in the Episcopal Church in the early 1980s. A church that on the outside seemed to welcome them. However, things quickly disintegrated and they found themselves in the midst of controversy where they endured a nasty and public protestation of something that should have been a celebration. Now, I, I'm going to stop here a little bit and say I, I really kind of hate it when people read passages completely in a sermon, but in the opening chapters of John Fortunato's book, he describes a vision that he had one dark night with a discussion with, uh, with God. And he writes, and it's just perfect, so I have to read it, and I apologize. <laughs> in it, he says, I was saying, you know, sometimes I think they're right. That being gay and loving a man is wrong. God smiled and said quietly, how can love be wrong? It all comes from me. Sometimes I just want to bury that part of me, I said. Just pretend it isn't real. But I made you whole, God replied. You are one as I am one. I made you in my image. Your church out there says that you don't love me. They say that I'm lost, damned to hell. You're my son, God said, in a way both gentle and yet so firm that there could be no doubt of his genuineness. Nothing can separate you from my love. What do I do about them? And in that same calm voice, God said, I've given you gifts. Share them. I've given you light. Brighten the world. I empower you with my love. Love them. Love them? What are you trying to do to me? Can't you see? They call my light darkness. They call my love perverted. They call my gifts corruptions. What the hell are you asking me to do? 
Love them anyway, he said. Love them anyway. Love them anyway, I moaned. But how? You must also speak your pain and affirm the wholeness I've made you to be when they assail you. You must protest when you are treated as less than a child of mine. You must go out and teach them, help them to know of their dependence on me for all they really are and of their helplessness without me and assure them by word and work and example that my love is boundless and that I am with them always. John continues, You know they won't listen to me, I said with resignation. They'll despise me, they'll call me a heretic, and they'll laugh me to scorn. They'll persecute and torment me. They'll try to destroy me. You know they will, don't you? God's radiant face saddened. And then God said softly, Oh yes, I know. How well I know. Then two strong motherly arms reached out and drew me close to the bosom of all that is. And I was just there, just being, enveloped in being, and we wept for joy. That passage is what helped me. And I think that it can help all persons who feel outside of the norm. Not just LGBTQ persons, but anyone who has felt isolated and on the fringe. Those who have been told that they are unworthy of God's blessings, that they are too much in sin. The lesson that is learned for us is that God is a living God, not bound by the stories of the past, or by how we believe God should act or do by our own interpretation. God will do what God will do to prove to us that God loves us unconditionally. And God wants us to be in relationship with God. God will transform our lives of fear and darkness into lives of joy. And as it says in the readings from Romans, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We will change. Our lives and our very beings are changed because of our baptisms. Our belief in the gospel and in resurrection gives us solace in knowing that death and despair and all the fear we have by being the outsiders is gone. God loves and accepts us. Remember, you are of more value than many sparrows. Resurrection means that whatever the cost of following the gospel's call to love and justice, we remain open to God's recreation of us. That we walk in newness of life and we affirm God's given, God's given gift to us, our sexual orientation, gender, race, ethnicity, ability, and all the things that make us who we are. And finally, the troubling words in the Gospel of Matthew remind us that discipleship with its life-giving freedom comes also at a cost. When LGBTQ believers choose to be full participants in the mission of the church, we bring to bright light of cleansing truth the years of oppression and injustice and outright lies told about us. 
When we come out of the silence and invisibility and we stand with Jesus on the side of full humanity, we may find that people who claim to be our family begin to act like enemies. We may hear that we are tearing our beloved church apart, but we can do nothing else but to stand up and live out to the commitment we have made in our own baptismal vows, striving for justice and peace among all people and respecting the dignity of every human being. We must stand with Christ in that promise. And when people deride us and tell us that our gospel is false and that we are teaching a new gospel by our own proclaiming of inclusion, what are we to do? What are we to do? We know that answer. As difficult as it may seem at times, we are to love them, love them, love them. And when they continue, we love them anyway. And then, then two strong motherly arms will reach out and draw us close to the bosom of all that is. We will just be there. Just being enveloped in being. And we will weep for joy. Amen.